The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning, Tower View. I hope you're having a good day. Kind of chilly. It was a few drops of rain as I headed in this morning. Don't know if we're going to get any more rain today, but there was a few drops. I pray that you're having a good morning. Let's see. I got that up. Flip here. Let's see what kind of comments I'm getting that says, yes, I can hear you. No, I can't hear you. Got a thumbs up. It says I have two comments, but I can't work. Uh, okay, why can't I see? Okay, now it's just being weird. All right, it says I have comments, and they're not popping up on my screen. So I can see that it says I have four comments, one like, a bunch of shares. Let's see. All right, let me look. I'm getting comments other ways. We can hear you. You are heard. Keep going. All right. I got comments in other ways. All right, thank you. All right, so everything's working. Once again, here I go. Let's see. Click, 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 click. Okay, Sundays. All right. Well, 
It says there on the screen, Tower View Baptist Church. This is our Sunday school lesson. If you want to find out more about us, check out our website. It is right there on the screen, towerviewkc.com. You can call our phone number. You can call or text that phone number, 816-368-1330. And that is our church phone number. Me, on the other hand, who am I? Who is this guy? I am Pastor Nelson, Associate Pastor here at Tower View. And we are continuing with our study through the book of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 20. The past two weeks we looked at the Easter season, Palm Sunday, and uh, Easter. And so now we're going to back up a little bit and and cover a scripture or two that we skipped over. Uh, If you have your lesson plan, it's lesson number seven. But as always, I'm going to do some background study. So let's start with a, a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you provide. Help us as we take a few minutes this morning to study your word, that we can use it to um, edify ourselves, Lord, that we can learn more about you, that we can understand who you are better, we can understand our role in this world better, that we can serve you better, and that it will change our lives whether it's changing our lives for the first time unto salvation or it's part of a continuing changing our lives that we call sanctification, being made holy while we're on this world. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we turn and take a step closer to you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there we go. I'm a little bit closer to the microphone now. I couldn't pull it any closer to me. It'd fall off the table. All right, so Luke chapter 20, verse 19. It's a parable. But why does Jesus tell this parable? What is the purpose of this parable? Um, Let's see. Okay. Um, What do you know? What is the purpose of this parable? Well, he's most of the parables, as you see, as you go, as we went through Luke. It's a result of what something else that just happened um, around Jesus. A result of a question, a comment, um, or, or some other event that just happened that many of the parables come from. And so let's look at that a little bit. So we're going to back up a little bit. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the triumphal entry, which is in Luke 19. And Jesus coming and... Um, in and in everybody rejoicing. And as Jesus is uh, in town or coming into town, he's on top of a hill looking overlooking Jerusalem. And in Luke 19, 41, he says, As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. Jesus wept. He wept for the city. Why did he weep for it? Verse 42, Luke 19, 42 says, If you knew this day... What would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and your children among you to the ground. They will not leave one stone on another. In your your midst, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Jesus pronounced a prophecy. 
he is on the hill and he's over and he's weeping. Why? Because he knows the people, most of the people are going to reject him. And he knows the future. What's the future? He knows that in about 40 years from the time that Jesus spoke this, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The Jews, Israel, has rebelled, will rebel against Rome, which is what they were hoping Jesus was going to lead, because they thought if he's the Messiah, he's going to lead a battle against Rome. He didn't. And so they rebel against Rome. And Rome comes in with their legions of soldiers, and they literally destroy uh, Jerusalem. And the temple is destroyed. They bring it down. It is gone, and it has not been rebuilt since, around 70 A.D. It, you know, the, the whole incident when you read about Masada or see the movie about Masada, that's the, the events that Jesus is talking about here, that they made a movie about. And Jesus is weeping. And, and the other Gospels, when, when it talks about Jesus saying these words, he also adds the phrase that he says, Oh, how I could gather you in like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And uses that word picture. And so Jesus is weeping because even though there are crowds are cheering for him right now, he knows things are going to change. He knows that he's going to be rejected. He knows that death and destruction, that some of the people who were out cheering for him today will die in this attack in, in about 40 years. And like I said, the Jews, if he was the Messiah, the Jews were hoping that Jesus was going to raise up an army and attack the Romans and kick them out of, out of their country. But no, that Jesus doesn't do that. Look in verse 45. He goes, Jesus goes to the temple. And that's where he starts knocking over tables and whipping people. And he says, you have... It says, he says in verse 46, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And so people, instead of attacking Rome, Jesus attacked those in the temple because they were not worshiping God properly. They were abusing the temple for personal gain, personal profit, personal power which is what the Pharisees were doing. It was about personal power and, and, and prosperity for themselves. And in verse 47, Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him because they recognized that he was opposing them. And so while he's teaching in, in chapter 20, verse 1, they ask him a question. They ask him in verse 2, it says, Tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? What? Well, he was healing people. But he was also, he attacked them in the temple. He turned tables over. He was preaching, as you go through the Gospels, calling the Pharisees and the scribes vipers. He was teaching about taxes. He was telling people their sins were forgiven. 
He was telling people that their faith has saved them. And they wanted to know what kind of authority Jesus had to say these things. But Jesus knew their hearts. And so he asked them a question in reverse. He says, John the Baptist, is he from God or was he from man? And they wanted to, so they wanted to know that. But Jesus, and so Jesus asked that question in reverse, but the Pharisees understood Jesus. They understood Jesus better sometimes than the disciples did. And so they discussed among themselves, well, if we say he's from heaven, then Jesus is just going to say, well, why don't you believe me? But if we say that he is um, you know, from man, the people thought he would, John the Baptist was a prophet, and they're going to hate us, and they might stone us instead. And so they were divided, and so they took any good politician, they, took a non, they gave a non-answer. And they said, we, well, we don't know where John was from. Because their heart didn't believe that John was a prophet. They did not believe that John really was preaching from the Word of God, and that God had sent him as, a, as the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Even though they knew scriptures better than anybody, they still didn't recognize God fulfilling prophecy right in front of their eyes because that takes faith. And they didn't have it. And so Jesus in verse 8, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So these events lead up to this parable in verse 9, in chapter 20, verse 9. And Jesus, and so that's what I'm going to read. I'm going to read from there. Um, from Luke, from Luke 20, starting in verse 9. Now he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, leased, to, leased it to tenant farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time he sent a servant to the farmers so that they might give him some fruit from the vineyards. But the farmers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent yet another servant, but they beat that one too, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third, but they wounded this one too and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What should I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. I'm going to stop right there before we get to the end of the parable. So here's the setup of the parable. So these are the events. The Pharisees wanted to know by what authority Jesus came. And so Jesus asked them a question, and the Pharisees refused to answer. So Jesus tells this parable in response. And this parable is in, is in the other Gospels also. He talks about a vineyard that is planted. In some of the other Gospels, it, it, it describes them building the wine presses and the, and, the, and the retaining wall around the outside of the vineyard. So they built this vineyard from scratch. So that would take many years for a vineyard to go from nothing to, to producing crop. But for the sake of parable, we don't worry about that time period. Time passes. And, 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 the, and, the, and the farmer and the owner knows that it's time for, you know, he, maybe he's getting radical reports. It's time for harvest, finally. And so he goes to get some, you know, get some of the, of the fruit of his, of his investment. 
but they beat the servant. Doesn't say why, doesn't say how, it just says he beat him. And they sent him and he left. And he went back to the owner. And it happened two more times. He was treated shamefully. We know in the Old Testament, one of the times David sent emissaries to a foreign country and they treated the emissaries shamefully because they cut off their garment and cut off half their beard. And it says they were treated shamefully. And David told them to, 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 to just wait in some little town until their beard grew back and got some other clothes. And so this happens three times. And then the owner replies, what should I do? Obviously a rhetorical question. I will send my beloved son. That's an odd phrase, a beloved son. I mean, if you have, like me, I have four kids, three of them sons. Either I call them all beloved sons, but I'm not just going to call one of them a beloved son. Probably. At least not at the moment. But but we know that God only had one son, and he's called the beloved son. How do we know that? Because we go back to Luke chapter 3, in that when Jesus was baptized and a voice from heaven calls down, this is my beloved son. We know on the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, Peter, James, and John, on the mountain, a voice comes out of the clouds and calls Jesus his beloved son. And in Luke, he doesn't use the term beloved son, but in the other Gospels, it does. And so we know God has used that term. And Jesus has used that, now uses that term in this parable, talking about himself. Perhaps they will respect him. Verse 14, but when the tenant, but when the tenant farmers saw him, they disgusted among themselves. Isn't that what the Pharisees just did? They saw Jesus, they disgusted among themselves what they should do with him. Let's kill him, so that the inheritance will be ours, so that they so they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. So this is a parable. It's not a straight up prophecy. It's not reality, it's a parable. So we can't take things too far. They threw him out of the vineyard and then killed him. Well, some say, well, that's a picture of Jesus because Jesus was executed outside the city of Jerusalem. Yes, he was. And we know that Jerusalem was, was ransacked and many of these people were killed. Like I said, about 40 years later. Not quite. But it's a parable. But it's also a statement of truth that Jesus is making about himself, about God the Father. And, a, and, uh, and the people around him, sometimes when they get a parable, they were like, what in the world is he talking about? This is not one of those parables. The last part of verse 16 says, but when they heard this, they said, this must never happen. But the problem is it doesn't say who they was. Is they... The Pharisees and scribes, or is they the people who are listening? It's, it's not clear. 
Scripture uses a lot of pronouns, and sometimes the, the antecedent, what the pronoun points to, isn't always clear. My conjecture would be, and what many think, is, is this is the crowd that's answering. That, that must never happen. And so the crowd understood the meaning of this parable. They understood that the vineyard was Israel, and that the servants that were sent were the prophets of the Old Testament that were persecuted. Jeremiah was thrown into a pit. We know that others, you know, people revolted against King David. Prophets were not always listened to. Elijah ran for his life. Read Hebrews 11, what we call the Hall of Faith. It talks about what happened to many of the prophets in the Old Testament. And so the people understood this. And they understood when it said that the vineyard was going to be destroyed, that there, Jesus was talking about Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. They didn't want that. But Jesus quotes a scripture in verse 17. But then he, he looked at them and said, Then what is the meaning of this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. And so he actually refers to two different scriptures. The first one, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalms 118. The people would have had that in mind. Part of Psalms 118 was quoted when Jesus came into Jerusalem. We see that in the other Gospels. In Psalm 113 to 118 was, were psalms that were sung, that were recited during the Passover. So the people would have just heard those verses. It had been fresh in their mind. And Jesus takes that, and instead of referring back to Israel or to Moses or whomever that they interpreted that referred to in Psalms, Jesus is saying it's, it's him. The stones the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In verse 18, he alludes to Isaiah. And also talking about a stone. And so Jesus is saying he is going to be rejected. He is the beloved son that the tenant farmers executed. And everybody understood the meaning of this parable. How do I know this? Look at verse 19. Then the scribes and the chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour, because they knew he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. They were not about justice, they were about their power, they were about their wealth. They were about their appearances. They cared about themselves. They did not care about the things of God. Which is why Jesus told this parable. Which is why they could talk so logically about John the Baptist. Because it wasn't about faith. It wasn't about God. It was about themselves. And they didn't understand Scripture. And they rejected it. 
They could see the signs of who John the Baptist was. They rejected it. They could see the signs of who Jesus was. They rejected it because it meant a loss of their power base. Because Jesus was becoming the preeminent teacher instead of them. And now Jesus is talking about destruction. He went to the temple. He destroyed their power base, their money base. Do you think those people went that were selling um, animals in the temple and, and exchanging currencies from one currency to another in the temple did it for free? No. I'm sure there, there was a fee for it. So the Pharisees got a cut of the action. And Jesus goes in there and turns up the table. It would cut into their money line. They didn't like that. Jesus, over and over again, he says, you have heard it said, and he quotes something from that the Pharisees teach and the scribes teach. He says, but I tell you the truth. And he goes back to the true meaning of what God meant in the scriptures. Because he says, I come to fulfill the scriptures, not cancel them out. And so we have Jesus coming. We have Jesus teaching. And this, and this parable shows that this nothing that is happening is a surprise to God. That this was all planned out from eternity past. For Jesus to come at this present time when Jesus came. A time when the Roman Empire was ruling Jerusalem. It was not an accident. It was not an accident that the Roman Empire had crucifixion as one of their modes of execution. Jesus didn't come when the mode of execution was a gas chamber in America. Jesus came to ancient Israel when Rome was ruling. None of that was an accident. We know when you read Psalm 139 that God has a plan for your life. Nothing that happens in your life is by accident. Nothing that was happening in the lives of Jerusalem that day was an accident. God knew all of it. God knew what was going to happen to Jesus just a few days later. Eternity passed. And while we speak of Jesus and God as a God of love, and He is, because without His mercy and His grace, we have no room for salvation. We would still have to be slaughtering lambs and doves and cattle for the forgiveness of our sins every year. But Jesus came for one time so that we didn't have to do that anymore. And by His grace and mercy, that those of us who repent will find salvation. But in this parable, it's not about the God of love. It's about a holy God who is, who is just, who is about justice. These tenant farmers were evil. They were greedy. They were selfish. They did not trust the owner. Even though the owner gave them the vineyard to, to operate. They acted as if it was their own. And justice was going to be played out. And justice isn't always pretty. 
But God is a holy God. He cannot look at sin. Sin must be punished. Sometimes we see it in great acts like this that Jesus is describing. Jesus going to the temple and physically destroying things. Not the temple itself, but the things that people brought into the temple. But when Jesus died, part of the temple was destroyed. The curtain between, in front of the Holy of Holies inside the temple was ripped apart so that that, part, that place was no longer separated from the rest of the temple. Because God changed how he um, worked with the rest of the world. That temple was no longer needed. We could go to God directly for salvation. We could go to God directly for our forgiveness. We did not have to go to the temple in Jerusalem to be forgiven. So these Pharisees and scribes, they had much knowledge about Scripture, but yet they were not godly. Because godly leaders are more than just about knowledge. And it's more than just about leadership skills. It's about a heart for God, a heart for God's people. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in their lives to all, not just to their friends, but also to those who oppose them. Also to the people who cannot help them because they were too powerless, they are too weak, they are too poor to help them. But yet you still have the fruit of the Spirit and kindness and gentleness and patience with all people. Because that's what Jesus had. Even though he pronounced judgment on those who refused to follow him who led people astray for their own personal power and gain. God is just. God is holy. As well as God is love. And God planned the the works of Jesus, the life of Jesus, for such a time and place. It was the perfect time, the perfect place. And today is the perfect time for salvation. Today is the perfect time to continue to serve God. Today is the perfect time to confess your sins to God. Today is the perfect time to continue to worship God and dedicate your life and say, God, help me get rid of this sin in my life. You have helped me in the past. Continue to help me. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of sanctification, being made holy. That's what us Christians do. Our goal is to be made a little bit more holy every day. We do that by reading God's word. We do that by praying. We do that by confessing our sins. We do that by repenting of our sins. We do that by apologizing for our sins to those who we have hurt and making things right. We do that by worshiping God with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We do that by worshiping God when we're at home alone. Not either or, it's both and. 
So when it's time to worship God, you go worship God with the, the brothers and sisters in Christ where that happens. At your local church. But when it's not church time, you can worship God at home. At all those other times during the week with your family, by yourself. With your small group Bible study, whatever. You worship God. And know that God has a plan. That God is holy. He knows what is happening. And nothing, you're not going to pull one over his eyes. And so Jesus came at just the right time. And he proclaimed justice. He proclaimed holiness. He proclaimed love. He proclaimed mercy and grace and compassion. And so that's what we are to do. We are not the judge, so we don't get to do the justice thing most of the time. Okay? Maybe for a little case here and there, but God is the eternal judge for salvation. You might get to serve on a jury sometime, but God is the judge, eternal judge. And he is the righteous judge. He will, he will rule the right way. Juries sometimes get it wrong, but God never gets it wrong. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for this scripture. We thank you for all that you provide. Help us to be your servant in all that we do. As we go out, help us to love you and to serve you in all things. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, I thank you for watching and listening today. Let's see. Once again, I'm, I'm Pastor Nelson Islam, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. You can check out our website at towerviewkc.com. You can call or you can text us on 816-368-1330. You can leave us a message on, the fa- on our website. You can leave us a message on Facebook, our Facebook page. Uh, come check out, if you're in the Kansas City area, we're in Kansas City, Missouri. At 1030 this morning, we have church. Uh, Maybe we have drive-in church. You just come in, you park in the parking lot, you turn your radio to 90.7 FM, and you can hear the service. The singers, the worship team is inside. If you have made reservations um, right now because of COVID, we're still doing that. Um, We still ask that you wear a mask and and physically distance still inside. But if you made reservations, you can come inside. and so, but otherwise, outside church, ninety point seven, we will stream the sermon. We only we, we stream our service, but only the sermon, not not the music. The music is on our website. It is on our Facebook page. Pastor Craig um, sings the music, and we put the lyrics there, so you know what the songs are. Um, but we don't stream the entire service. Um, I'll have to talk to Darren when he gets here whether he's going to preach outside this morning. Uh, it's not going to be very windy. I don't think it's going to rain, so I'm, I'm inclined to say he's going to preach outside. It's not. It's a little chilly, but not too cold. Um, but we'll see. I'm not going to sit out the speakers outside today. Um, it's a little bit too chilly. I don't think anybody's going to want to sit outside in the, in the chill that it's out there. And so come and worship with us if you're in the area. Otherwise, if you're not in the area, find a Bible-believing gospel church to worship with today, this Sunday. Or this coming Sunday, if you're watching, if it's not, if you're not watching this live, and worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, following whatever rules they have as far as the pandemic goes. 
So I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening today. God bless. I'm not calling anybody out this morning for whatever reason. Uh, my computer is being befuddled, and I'm not getting any of the comments I see. There are 19, 20 comments out there, and I can't see a single one of them. That's uh, rather frustrating. So I will go back and read them all later. So I thank you for watching and listening. I pray God bless, and I pray that we see you uh, later this morning. God bless, and have a wonderful day.